Well, you can have a seat. And today we're going to celebrate what it means when we say that Jesus is our Lord and our God. We'll get to that in just a moment. But before we do, I wanted to ask you kind of a practical question. And that is, are you on the church's weekly email list? Um, The reason I'm asking this question today is because as we head into the holidays and then the end of the year and the beginning of the new year and all the goals associated with that, one of our primary communication channels with all of you is that weekly email list. And if you're not on that list, you might miss some important developments or things that we're doing or opportunities or needs that we want to put out. And, uh, And so that's really one of the ways that our family communicates one to another And if somehow you're not in that loop yet, uh, you can follow the instructions on the screen and text that number uh, with your name and email address. Or uh, if you want to jot your email address down on a piece of paper or a card or an envelope or something and put it in one of the offering boxes, that's another way you can get that to us. And we'll make sure you're looped in with all the things that are happening here at BCBC. So before we get serious today, I guess this is a little bit serious when you see this question, but I've got a crazy question for you. The kind of question that I remember debating with people about in youth group, all right? So, so maybe some of you teens, you, you've, you thought of the answer. I actually talked to somebody earlier who said, yeah, we were just talking about that. So, so here it is. Um, what do we believe that is different from what demons believe? Okay, what do we believe that is different than what demons believe? Now, this is going somewhere. There's a reason I'm throwing this out there. Uh, but let's just walk it through for a second. Do demons believe in God? Yes. Do demons believe that Jesus is God and powerful and God's son? Yes, we know that because remember when the, Jesus was on earth and he, and he actually walked up to someone who was demon-possessed and the demons inside got all scared and worried and said, we know who you are. So the demons know, they, they might even know things about God that we don't know because they exist in a spiritual dimension and maybe they've sort of seen what we haven't seen. Um, and so would you say, would it be fair to say that most of what's in the Bible, the demons would believe it, like they, could, they, they might even academically actually know most of what the Bible says? Would you say that's possible? So when it comes down to it, um, if the demon, like I, I was thinking, I mean, if you wanted to put it honestly, like a demon could probably join a church. They really wanted to because they could sign the statement of like what that church believes and the demon could say all of that is factually correct that is how it works. That, that is who God is. That's who Jesus is. That's who the Holy Spirit is. That's what God's plan is. And so you say, wow, so do we believe exactly the same thing that demons believe? There, there has to be a difference, right? So what is that difference? And here's what I would propose. The demons believe that Jesus is Lord. We believe that Jesus is our Lord. And that's where we part ways with demons and the devil and the rest of them. Because when we see Jesus, we don't see someone else's Lord, and we don't see just sort of God high and lifted up and far away from us. We see our personal Lord and Master. We see the King to whom we would pay homage, like we would follow that King. They don't. And when it comes down to it, the demons believe all the right doctrine, and you could too, and I could too, but that has nothing to do with who is your Lord. So today we're going to talk about what that means, why that's important, and I see this as as sort of a necessary next step from our summit experience when we think about 
what God showed us in those two weeks and some of the amazing testimonies we heard. I mean, there was one night, I think it might have been the second Wednesday night of the summit. Remember when a lot of you teens actually got up and kind of led the way in offering just statements of commitment, saying you're surrendering to God or giving up control to, the, to God, maybe for the first time or maybe in a fresh way. And, and that sense of letting God really be the leader, the Lord of our lives, is what makes us different than demons. And it is what makes us different than all the people who would say, yeah, I believe all of that, but I don't live it. It's who is your Lord. And so the summit kind of put that before us in a fresh way and kind of offered us a road forward to say, look how every aspect of your life is to be defined by Jesus's lordship, your family life, your, your character, your, your prayer, like everything has to do with Jesus being Lord. That's the first step, is recognizing that, confessing that. But what we have before us now is figuring out how do we keep living that way? How do we live with Jesus as our Lord? That is not here at the church, but out there in the lives we live, the school we go to, the workplace, the home. How do we live with Jesus as our Lord? What does that actually even mean? How would I do that? And I hope that in the next few moments before we leave church today that you'll have a clear sense of what it means that Jesus is the Lord of your life and how you would go about following him into the future. All right, now some people think of following Jesus um, in kind of a simplistic way. Maybe you could see this, this, uh, this picture. They just think that maybe as long as Jesus is sort of on their feed, as long as Jesus is a part of their story, that that's enough. But that's not what we're talking about here when we talk about following Jesus. We're thinking of this very literally where you actually go the way that Jesus goes. So to learn about that, turn with me in the Bible to Luke chapter 6, verse 46. It's important to accept Jesus as Lord. It's important to confess Jesus is the Lord. It's important to receive Jesus as Lord. Those are all biblical concepts where... It's important, every step of that, but those all have to do with the introduction, the beginning of our faith, not the long-term follow-through. The follow-through is how do we live with Jesus as our Lord. Um, I remember when I was in premarital counseling, that is Melissa and I, before we got married, we had some meetings with some leaders, and one, one person said to us something that I've passed on to others, as sometimes I get to do premarital counseling as well along the way. And that is that you can be completely prepared for your wedding, but not prepared at all for your marriage, right? Because there's a big difference between a wedding and a marriage. The wedding is the moment. I mean, it's an amazing, you want to be prepared for your wedding. That's where you state your commitment. But the, but the, the real aspect of being married isn't, isn't in the wedding ceremony. It's everything that happens after that. And so as, as a believer in Jesus, you, you would say in a moment of confession, you would say, Jesus is my Lord. And then we're challenged to continue to live in him. How do we do that? Jesus had just gotten done sharing his Sermon on the Mount. Um, that famous body of teaching, it appears in Matthew in an extended form, and Luke in a little bit short and abbreviated way. Um, and and, it, and it's, this, it's sort of the, the way of the kingdom, the way, of the, the way that Jesus came to open up, a way of love, a way of, of peace, a way of heart commitment, not just commitment to external regulations. 
And, and he was surrounded by people who probably did have a pretty deep biblical knowledge, and they probably were fairly committed, like they were following him around, and they had met him up on this mountaintop to hear teaching. So they were, they were not, this wasn't just sort of the masses out there. This were, these were people who had made a decision, at least at some elementary way, to start following Jesus and to hear more of what he had to say. And it's possible that some of those people started to call him Lord. The reason I know that is because what Jesus says to them in verse 46. He said, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? You just think about the logical force of that simple question for a moment. Why would you call Jesus Lord, Lord, and then turn around and not actually act like he's the Lord, not do what he would say? really doesn't make any sense. Jesus told a parable to illustrate that. Verse 47, he said, I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays a foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. And so many times when people come to this parable, they, they think of the song, The Solid Rock, and they think of their life being built on Jesus. And somehow the, the connection in our minds becomes, do I believe in Jesus? That's how I get my house on the solid rock. That's not a bad idea to believe in Jesus, and he is a solid rock. But it's interesting because that's not really what Jesus is saying here. What is the difference between the wise builder and the foolish builder? Do they have anything to do with what they believed? I mean, if your Bible's open, you can look at it. What was the difference between the two? One heard and then acted. The other heard and didn't act. One was obedient. And it was the obedient listener that built his house on the solid foundation it wasn't about whether he had the right doctrine. It was actually about whether he was hearing the Lord's words and then applying them, or if he was that foolish builder who thought that if he just heard the words, that that somehow was sufficient. To know the truth, to learn the truth, to read the truth, to be exposed to the truth, to talk about the truth, to listen to the truth in the car, to... to hear it at church, to in, in every, have the truth everywhere, to read the books about the truth. But in the end, if he didn't obey it, he was a foolish builder. And the whole house that he was constructing of his faith would one day collapse. Jesus says, why would you call me Lord, Lord, and then not do what I say? So here is our challenge. When we think about what over the last month, we've, we've been challenged afresh to follow the Lordship of Jesus. But it's not enough to make the commitment to fill out the little index card. It's not enough to sing the amazing songs about Jesus being the Lord and risen from the dead. And what we're about to get into Christmas songs. And there's all sorts of like, I mean, Jesus is the Lord and we're going to celebrate that. But as you're celebrating, the question will be, is he a Lord out there for other people, or is he your Lord? 
And there's really no reason to sing the songs or to pray the prayers or to, or to, or to offer him sort of lip service and say, you're the Lord, but then not do what he says. The lordship of Jesus has to be personal. And what I'm interested in is not just saying that it ought to be that way, but finding out how do I do it? How, how would I actually reorganize my life so that Jesus is in charge and not me? What does that mean? So here's one thing A.W. Tozer said. He was a preacher of the last century that uh, had, had a lot of striking things to say. His books are fantastic, all about getting to know God in a personal way and seeing sort of the majesty of God's kingdom. He said, I am satisfied that when a man believes on Jesus Christ, he must believe on the whole Lord Jesus Christ, not making any reservation. And so what we tend to want to do and what people back in Tozer's day to do is they wanted to divide up Lord Jesus Christ and just sort of select the parts of that that they thought would fit their lifestyle for the moment. Say like, I I need a savior, so I'll take that. And I really need a friend to help me when I'm down, so I'll take that. Thank you, Jesus, for being my friend. And and I really need... um, I need, that. I need, I need the, the truth of Jesus. I need a teacher in my life. I need his wisdom. But ah, I don't know if I really want a king quite yet. I'm not really sure if I want a Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe I'll just take Jesus as my buddy for a while and we'll work on him being the king later on. And Tozer's saying, you know what? When, you, when, when somebody really comes to believe in Jesus, they're embracing the whole package. That they're believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how they're saved. And so for you and I, as followers of Jesus, we look to him and we say, this isn't just something where I'm sort of selecting in what parts of my life I want Jesus to be in charge. This is, this is the, whole, the whole deal. When I say, Lord, Lord, the, 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 the whole premise there is that I would walk out of that moment of commitment and live a different way where he actually is in charge instead of me. All right, Romans 10.9 is a, is a famous verse that maybe you learned in Sunday school if you went long ago, and hopefully you'd know this verse because it's a great one to explain the good news to someone who hasn't ever heard of Jesus before, kind of summarizes what you need to do to get started. It says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so he says, it's, you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Now, the the point that I was making before is the demons could theoretically say that because the demons are willing to point to someone else far away and say, sure, he's the Lord. What they're not willing to do is look at their own hearts and lives and say, he is my Lord. And that confession is really not not a point of doctrine. It's a point of ownership. It's a point of, of, it's, it's who is in charge of you. Now, it's an amazing thing to follow Jesus. He, he's a much better leader for my life than I would be. And the times that I take the reins back and try to do it my way, I'm always sorry that I did. Or if you remember from the summit, having the stool here, and remember when Jimmy and Steve were kind of fighting over the stool because the stool represented the first position in life, the decision maker, the leader. And how we so often want to say to Jesus, here, sit on the stool, And then a decision comes up and we kind of want to nudge Jesus off and say, well, let me handle it from here and then we'll put Jesus back. And that's not how lordship works. We don't get to select when he's the Lord and when he's not. So here's kind of a way that you could test out in your own thinking how Jesus is Lord of your life. All right. So you could fill in the little star there on the screen with, with, with pretty much any word that would describe an aspect of your life. So the Lord of my personal life 
is the one who makes the final decision about what happens. Whoever that is, that's the Lord. And so if Jesus is in your life, but he's on the side of your life as some sort of an advisor, then you can't say, Lord, Lord, because ultimately he's not. You still are. But when you let Jesus sit on the stool, when you finally give up your own sort of pride and way forward and say, Lord Jesus, I will trust in you to lead me, that's when everything starts to change. So you can walk through any part of your life. The Lord of my professional life, that's my career choices, my, my sense of where I'm going and, and what, what's important to me. It's who, is, who makes the final decision about all that? The, the Lord of my family life. And you say, wait, wait, no, that's too personal. Like, I already have a plan for my family. Maybe you do, but that would mean that you're the Lord of your family. If you want Jesus to be Lord, then you're saying, Lord, I put all that on the altar and I look up to you. You're my leader here in every part of my life. The Lord of my sex life is the one who makes the final decision about what happens. The Lord of my financial life is the one who makes the final decision about what happens. You go through any aspect of who you are as a human being and say, it's the person who makes the final decision. That's the person who's Lord. And I feel like in the summit, one of the things that we were all called to as sort of a fresh step forward was to recognize the lordship of Jesus in every part of our lives. So here's a great scripture then that helps us maybe start moving forward in a new direction. And I, and I wanted to show it to you on the screen to bold that first line because I feel like if ever there was a word that could be given to, to us here in this moment in our own church's history, just to say, where do we go from here? What do we need to do next? It's this first line. He says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. So you got married. That's great. Now let's worry about the, let's work on the marriage. The wedding was amazing, and, and your commitment is strong, and there it is. You're wearing the ring, and we're excited about your new life, but now it's time to live as a married person, and all that that's going to change. And so, just as you accepted Christ as your Lord, Continue to live in him. Continue to follow him. He says, let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were, you're taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. And so there's this vision of like what your life can be, like well-rooted and joyful and full of purpose and full of thanksgiving. That's what's ahead of you if you continue to follow Jesus as your Lord, just as you accepted him to be your Lord. So let's, let's turn this into some marching orders. Let's find out how we go into this week and say, okay, Jesus is my Lord, and it's not just a song I sang, and it's not just in our church doctrinal statement, and it's not just something I would put as sort of a bumper sticker or something. No, this is really in my heart. Like, I really believe Jesus is Lord. So that means something. Here's how we can start to break it down. Living with Jesus as Lord means that he is our defining authority. Our purpose is derived from his intent, our vision comes from his goals, and our mission is to gladly follow his will. Now here's what happens in probably in my life, and I'm imagining in your life sometimes as well, is you kind of want to be a part of the strat plan when your purpose and mission and vision get involved. You kind of want to raise your hand and say, but wait, here's what I want to do. And I, and I don't think there's anything wrong with saying to the Lord, here's what I want to do. But at the end of the day, the person who makes the final decision is the Lord. And so you're saying, Lord, my life belongs to you. Your purpose is bigger than my purpose. Your vision 
is broader and more important than my vision. And your mission for me is, is, is of greater import than my sort of self-made mission for myself. So we, I think we can ask Jesus three questions about this. And, and maybe these questions could help you start moving forward in a life submitted to his lordship. Here's the first question. Lord Jesus, for what purpose did you make me? And why are you sustaining me right now? So you just look up to heaven and say, Lord, um, why did you make me? Why are you continuing to allow me to exist? A really humbling verse appears in Colossians 1 that says that you know, Jesus is Lord of all. He's over everything. And it says, in him all things hold together. Kind of inferring like if Jesus didn't want you to exist, what would happen to you? You would just cease to exist. It wouldn't just be that you would die. You would just be gone. And so for some reason, Jesus had you wake up this morning. For some reason, your heart is still beating. For some reason, he's still giving you breath. And so you look up to him and you say, Lord, you're my Lord. You're, you've given me this life and you're willing me to exist even right now. Why? What do you have for me? A couple ways that we could think about purpose. Um, a maker and an owner has the right to determine something's purpose. I remember when I was a teen and I, this final, I finally figured it out. Um, somewhere in my middle teen years, I was still kind of reckoning with like what I wanted to do versus what I felt like the Bible said I was supposed to do. And you know, it was kind of like, well, which way do I wish for? And I was asking the wrong question. Um, and suddenly one day I realized that if God actually made me, then he's the one that gets to determine my purpose, not me. And if God made me, it means he owns me. The owner is the one who determines why something is there, what it should be used for. Not the thing itself, kind of looking up at its owner going, no, no, that's not what I'm here for. And so we submit to our owner. We submit to our maker. I think the more that a person reflects on this, the more they start to find what the purpose of life really is, that it's not actually for you or about you. It actually has everything to do with Jesus. So the second question we can ask as we sort of step forward into lordship is, Lord Jesus, what vision do you have for my life? Who do you want me to become? And how do you want me to work toward that? So, I mean, we probably have a vision for our lives. I know I do. I think about all the things I hope I get to do. And sometimes my vision is amazing and, you know, pipe dreamish. And sometimes it's really practical. Like, man, I can't wait to go have lunch or something like that. But you've got a vision that has to do with what you're looking forward to in the future. And, and here's, here's the thing. If Jesus is your Lord, he needs to be a part of that conversation. He needs to be a part of that part, that aspect of your life where you're looking forward and he's there at the table, not just as a participant in the plan, but he's actually leading the plan to say, where do we go? From here, what, what does life become? Uh, here, here's a couple ways you could think of vision. Vision is a picture of the future that produces passion in your heart. So vision is the thing that when somebody starts talking about it, your heart starts beating a little bit faster. When you start imagining what that would be, you're so excited about it. And so for some people, vision is you know the next car they're going to drive, the next house they get to own, the, the next vacation they'll take, the place they could retire, the next job they could have. There's nothing wrong with those earthly visions, but there's a vision that transcends all of that. It's an eternal vision defined by Jesus. And so we look and we say, Jesus, since you're my Lord, you're the one that gets to make the final decision about my vision, 
about what I'll dream about and what I'll be excited about and where I'll go from here. And so we can kind of check our own hearts. We can do a little vision test and we say, well, what, what does get me excited right now? What am I looking forward to? And if Jesus isn't in the equation at all, then that's cause to pray and say, Lord, I've been calling you my Lord, but my vision, what I think I'm going to do with the life you gave me, I've not even asked you about that. So Lord, I come to you now and ask you to fill me with your vision, not just to bless my vision. And then here's the third question. Lord Jesus, what mission would you like me to fulfill and what goals should I set for today or the next week or the next month or the next decade? So that again, this is if Jesus is the Lord, we include him in the story here. He's in the conversation. He's leading the conversation. So, wow, the goals for today. Like, Lord, what, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to interact with my family? Lord, what's the, what's the next step that I'm supposed to take in my career or my education? Lord, here we're, we're just about to hit 2020. And we've got a whole new decade ahead, and we're all hoping that we'll be around to see 2030. So, man, there's a 10-year span there. Lord, you're in charge of my life, so where would you like me to go? What would you like me to do? What goals should I set uh, as I pursue living for you, not just living for myself based on my own understanding? So here's a way that you could get started on this mission component. When you pray about mission, you say, like, man, one of the hard parts about that is there's like, 25,000 options out there. Like, there's lots of great, like, mission to be a part of. There's amazing careers. There's incredible ministry. There's thousands of churches. Like, how do I know what I'm supposed to do next? And here's, here's what I found to be true. To get started, identify your mission with the mission of Jesus. It starts really general, and it gets more and more specific as you go. So by general, I mean when you, when you start thinking about what Jesus did while he was here on earth, you read the Gospels and you say, okay, what was Jesus' mission? And Jesus was out serving the poor. He was sharing the Gospel with people. He was attending to the sick. He was, he was looking after the, the, the forgotten. Uh, Jesus was, was all about telling the truth. And so you start kind of saying, these are things that were in Jesus' mission. I'm going to bring those things into my lifestyle. And Lord, until you give me specific direction, that's what I'll do. I'll do the general mission. So write where you are, write what you have in front of you, the people you already know, the neighborhood you already live in, you just start acting like Jesus would act. You start fulfilling the mission that he modeled. You mimic his mission. And as you mimic that, you'll start to find that um, not only will that start to make an impact in your life and the people around you, but, but Jesus will start to define that better and better for you so that eventually you get to the place where you say, I do know that I'm, I am where I'm supposed to be, or I, I have some specific next steps. Um, I, I know from you know, many personal testimonies here in my own life of how frustrating it can be to be in a place where you're not sure what your next step is supposed to be. And probably in, in different ways, all of us face that at different junctures in our life. Uh, but here's the amazing thing. When Jesus is your Lord, you really don't have to be worried. Because you could say, Lord, I'll, I'll do all the research I know to do. I'll, I'll do all the diligence I'm supposed to do for whatever these opportunities are. Um, Lord, I'll bring them the best I have to the table. But at the end of the day, you're the Lord and I'm not. That's an amazing and comforting way to live, a way to have a perspective. All right, so here's what these three questions can do for us. The first is that if you ask those questions 
and you really see Jesus as your Lord of your purpose, of your vision, of all the goals you would set, of, of the mission that you live as a part of, that's a great relief, especially if you've been struggling with your identity or your calling or your next steps. Because now you say, okay, this isn't on me to figure all. It's, I, I don't have to figure it out. All I have to do is, in humility, keep obeying. I have to call Jesus Lord and not just think of it like he's the Lord far away, but he's my Lord. And as long as I follow him as my Lord, the, the steps will eventually work themselves out. It also makes the Bible way more interesting. Now, if you think about it, if you read the Bible from a purely sort of historical point of view or even from a purely theological point of view, you're really reading like about what other people believe, what other people do. But suddenly when Jesus is your Lord, now you're opening your eyes and you're saying, wow, this is like, I want to know what's here because this is about my life too. That's, how am I going to know what Jesus wants? Well, here, I have all this information about what Jesus taught and what he did as I opened the scripture. Can give daily purpose our prayers so we can continue to pray those questions to the Lord. I would be the first to say those are not like one and done type prayers. Like, Lord, would you just guide me into your purpose? And then, okay, I'm done and like, you know, 40 years go by and I, everything went well. Uh, no, that's like a daily prayer, right? Lord, I need to stay focused on your mission. Lord, what's your vision for me? What's my next step? Those are prayers. That's a continual conversation we get to have with God as we walk by faith. And so your prayers can take on this whole life when you're not just talking to God far away, you're talking to your Lord, who is the final decision in your life. Uh, suddenly, I'm really, really interested in praying, uh, especially before God makes any sudden moves on me. Like, I want to know about that ahead of time. Let's, let's pray about that. So, and then put your focus in the right place. That's what, when you, when you start treating Jesus as your Lord and including him in your thinking about purpose and vision and mission, um, your focus starts to go in a new direction. Because now your focus isn't just on the temptations, the trials, the, the challenges, the financial issues, the marriage problems, whatever it is that you have. Now your focus is on something bigger. And you might even start to think, you know, my Lord wants me to go through challenges in my life for something that he has in mind. And you can actually face challenges with faith that way. Um, or you can walk through and say, I'm so glad I'm not alone in this. And I'm so glad that I don't have to worry about all the outcomes because my Lord is in charge of me. He's my owner. He'll take care of me. So here the Lordship of Jesus not only is a matter of sort of shifting our perspective toward obedience, but it's also shifting our perspective toward faith and toward trust. So how do we learn about that? Where do we go? Um, how, how do we take some forward steps? So I have two, two challenges. The first one is just sort of a note about what's coming up. Um, on December 20th, the Sunday of Christmas, um, we'll start a series on the Gospel of John. And our purpose in that is going to be to set, shed some light on the Lordship of Jesus and sort of the daily walk that we'll have with him. Um, and, and also to sort of evaluate the words of Jesus himself. That's well, one thing for us to talk about the Lord Jesus. It's another thing for us to actually dive into the stories where we see how he lived and what he did. And, uh, and so December 22nd, we'll, we'll open up the scripture and we'll go that direction. Um, also, I, I want to conclude our service today with, with an opportunity for you um, just to pray and process what Jesus wants you to do next. Um, that really, to me, uh, it might be the most important prayer that you'll pray today. 
That's, that's certainly a prayer you could offer to God any day of the week. But here in this moment, we've got the time. Uh, we have the moment of focus, and we're thinking about it. We, we know that God has a claim on our purpose. He's the one that determines what we're, what we're made to do. He's the one that's let you still exist. And so, Lord, what do you want me to do with the life you're giving me? Uh, and then we look at the vision and we say, Lord, we know you have a vision for what you want me to become that's way bigger than anything I've ever dreamed of. And so, Lord, would you start showing me how to walk that way? What, what you want me to do is start working toward your vision. And then when we think about the mission that we're on, we say, Lord, that mission isn't something where we have to sort of craft some great agenda and then carry it out. No, Lord, we're looking to you. You're our Lord. We'll do what you say. Um, we just need that sense of mission from you. And, uh, and as we pray about that, I think that God will bring some clarity into our hearts and, uh, and maybe even a little bit of excitement as we think about how we get to step into this future, not on our own and not just sort of with the best wisdom we can come up with. We get to step into the future literally following Jesus. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then don't do what I say? Today, we want to do what he says. And we want to include him in the conversations that define who we are. So in, in our closing moments here, um, we'll take some time to pray. And after three or four minutes have gone by, I'll come up and close our service and mention a couple things. But in this time of prayer, I'd love for you to do one of two things. One is if you, if you need some time just very personally to pray and ask the Lord what his next step for you is, you could take that time right here and now. Also, if you came with some family or some friends and say, you know, we're on this journey of following Jesus together, you, you could turn to them and just, just pray right there together as a little team and say, Lord, we, we want to think about our, our purpose, our vision, our mission. Uh, praying about it doesn't mean you have answers. It doesn't mean you have to have all the, you know, it's not scripted like you say some beautiful thing and it all works out. We're actually asking Jesus to lead us. And uh, so you can voice that to the people around you and take a little time personally as well. And in a couple minutes, I'll come back and we'll, we'll conclude our service. So let's go to prayer.